This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Jeff Nichols is far more than a coach and co-founder of Virginia High Performance. He's taken his experience both as an athlete and a Navy SEAL and shaped an effective training philosophy. Although Jeff will tell you his insights are not unique, but in a world where bullshit and superfluous information clouds intent, the beauty of simplicity is often overlooked. Jeff has worked with NFL teams, collegiate teams, and individual athletes to impart the theme of simplicity versus stupidity. Just because a training system looks sport-specific based on a movement pattern does not always mean it is. As we know, there are other factors at play that determine the efficacy and transfer to a position in sport. He's intelligent, candid, and grounded. His work with youth athletes at Virginia High Performance has allowed him to control the quality and determination of each young mind and body. This is Jeff Nichols, and this is episode 158. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? You got Luke and John here in Orange County. Another episode of Power Athlete Radio, Texas in D.C. for the last day of his life. Until we book him back, you think he'll yeah, be back? Yeah, he'll, he'll be back. There'll be like a junior high school that needs a uh, PE teacher, and Texas has the right whistle, so he'll probably. <laughs> yeah, to take it way too seriously, I'm in. Yeah, he's like, uh, do, do I get a big whistle or a little whistle? Big whistle. I'm, I'm in. I'm saving America, John, because these are all the senators' kids, so they're future senators. So by me being a hard ass and kind of showing these guys the way, I'm saving America. Well, what's going to happen when the people of America decide that? what's really causing problems in America is Washington and the, uh, the Coke bottle or the fucking bottleneck that is our, 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 uh, our government. And exercise. And exercise. Well, there is this new thing called a DC fit tax. So you got to pay an extra dollar or two just to have a gym membership. <laughs> so oh God. It's not like a soda tax, but there's no, soda tax. Tax. no McDonald's tax. There's no, uh, um, I, you know what? I always kind of thought it'd be kind of interesting if they had like a fat tax where they just went around and like handed people out tickets if they were overweight. Cause that would suck. Cause then I would get hit up a bunch. I have to get a bunch of money. So what, is that based yeah. off BMI? Cause then we're all screwed. Oh yeah. We're fucked on the BMI. So what is it like body fat test? Strength test? I'm in for strength test. <laughs> what about like the muffin top test? If somebody can get like a full fucking grab of muffin top on the side of a love handle, you get fined like a dollar. It's not a bad idea. Just one caliper test. Your love handle. <laughs> You're, You're like, but dude, my cortisol levels are through the fucking roof. I got these kids. All right, enough about love handles and fit taxes. Let's get on to our guest of honor here. Today we got Jeff Nichols, uh, former Navy SEAL and currently a co-owner operator of Virginia High Performance and uh, a self-proclaimed uh, exercise instructor, right? Is that what we got going on, Jeff? Yeah, pretty simple. I was, uh, I guess, if, if I had a bit, I do have a business card. It says exercise physiologist. That was my background before I came in the Navy. Uh, I was a strength coach and, and teacher at Troy University. So back on the saddle now. 
All right, well, give us a little more about the background. So strength coach, how long were you there? What sports did you work with? And then, uh, you know, what you joined the Navy? What was, uh, what was the trigger behind that? You know, give us all the good stuff. Yeah, okay. Here's the, uh, I guess, the elevator speech, right, is uh, I was, an, like most strength coaches, I was an athlete. I played baseball, Troy University in Alabama. Um, did, I always had this bug in the back of my head that I was going to do something, you know, outside of, the, outside of sport at some point. I stayed on as a strength coach after I finished playing baseball. Really fell in love with training, as most do. You know, that, that stick to the job uh, as a grad student and so forth. And after 9/11, I had already I already committed to join the Navy specifically to try to be a SEAL at that point. And uh, joined the Navy about about eight months after 9/11 kicked off. Spent 11 years in the SEAL teams on both coasts, spent the first couple of years in San Diego, uh, SEAL Team 5, and then the latter end of my career, the last eight years or so, I spent in Virginia Beach. And there was, there was it really simply put, it wasn't something terribly crazy, which got me to get out, really. I have a son who's nine now, and at the time, with all the travel, as, as much as I appreciate where I came from as a SEAL and, and the work that, that, that I did or we did as a team, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I, I got to my end limit of my willingness to be away from my son. Pretty simple. And I think for me, that was a great reason. It was kind of, he's my salvation and continues to be. And that is what prompted me to get back into teaching was Virginia Beach. Um, I guess it's, it's not a big surprise to me, I guess. But nationally, there's a ton of athletes that come out of Virginia Beach and the, the surrounding areas, Norfolk, Chesapeake, and so forth. And... My business partner and I, uh, we looked at the demographic. He had a 14-year-old daughter at the time and who was an athlete, volleyball player, and we just, we just looked at each other and said, there's a real need, a real demand for good strength and conditioning, good education, and, and, and for the, all these athletes. So we decided to open up Virginia High Performance here in Virginia Beach, and we've been about 19 months now. We've, we're, we're somewhere in the vicinity of 600 athletes, uh, and we're – growing growing exponentially we're having to add staff and so forth and it could be a lot worse to be honest with you it could be a whole lot worse so in a nutshell that's where i'm at so what what type of athletes are you working with specific sports guys gals ages, ages? yeah we you know one of the things i guess our methodology is pretty simple or the reason is we took for lack of a better term that collegiate model and put it in for youth athletics and what is there's a ton of club athletes here, athletic uh, clubs here. So a lot of, a lot of female volleyball players, court volleyball and sand. We have a lot of female softball. We have a lot of football. Um, baseball is growing soccer as well. So we have, we just take these club sports from all those sports club teams and we implement a structured strength conditioning program in season and off season for those. So the, we have a, a wide range of every, like wrestling. We got a lot of wrestlers here. Um, but the only sport that we don't have right now is women's field hockey yet, and we don't have crew. But as far as Virginia Beach is concerned, we got about a little bit of everything. Nice. Well, Tex, uh, I believe you 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 met Jeff this past weekend at or a week or was it two weekends ago at Summerstrong. Why don't you give us a little background on on the introduction, and everything that that you you guys yeah, talked so about? I was down at the CSCCA. And uh, Ben from Train Heroic, he was nice enough to kind of connect Jeff and I just for a moment. 
And then the next weekend, John and I were going down to Virginia Beach. So I thought, hey, this is, this is perfect timing. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't connect in Virginia Beach, but then Jeff was speaking at Summer Strong, so which I was also attending. Uh, so from there, I, I kind of sat down and took a, as many notes as I could on Jeff's presentation. So I'd, I'd love to kind of give our listeners the experience. So I've, I've got those six points uh, that from your presentation, Jeff, and I'd like to kind of uh, just throw some, some questions at you along those points if, if you're up for it. Go for it. Um, so just sticking with the order, the first kind of point you made in your present, if actually, if we, um, if you did be, uh, so nice as to introduce the purpose of that presentation and then kind of direct this conversation from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think that this, that, that, that presentation, so to speak, was a, was a long time in the making. It was kind of rough because it was my first time I really delivered on that level, but it's, it's simply this. I learned a lot. You know, we, the, I guess the term we say 10,000 hours makes you an expert um, in whatever field that is. And I definitely have those hours in the SEAL community. So that being said, I learned a lot about that process. Like how do you really become an efficient expert, not just someone that spends a lot of time doing something. So in the same coaching, teaching methodology, like mentality is how do I, what did I learn? And basically I learned that, you know, if we, we always have a goal, we should have a goal with our athletes. But if the process to which we're trying to achieve that goal has a lot of deficiencies in it as a coach, right, we could, we could have all the will and desire in the world. But if that process looks like shit, the goal is not going to be obtained, pretty simply. So I was trying to bridge the idea because there's so many people saying train like a Navy SEAL and all that sort of nonsense. I was really trying to put into context what really people should be looking at, in my opinion, in terms of if you want to train like one, it's not just about getting wet and sandy and saying who you on a bunch of dog shit that people are trying to do and sell. It's really about, okay, the, the reason why the special forces community is so successful is because the process is so refined. That's really simply, I guess, how I would put it. Awesome. And so the first point and what you led off the presentation with was most people are putting the ends before the means. So could you explain that? Right. I think that again, it's, it's obviously we want a goal for our athletes or in any world you want a goal, but if that's all it is, the focus of like obtaining that goal, but we, again, we overlook totally the process and the process is, is more than just write out a plan. The plan can change, right? Depending on a lot of things, right? If you say, Hey, there's illness, sickness, biological, chronological age, uh, gender even, right? So it's great to have a goal, we need to make sure that the process marries up with it. And moreover, we need to make sure that if you run into a roadblock in the midst of that process, that you refine it, right? You can deviate from it for, for a little bit, but that'll ruin you if you don't have an, if a good idea how to get there. Yeah, we're big proponents of definitely setting goals for athletes and then basing all of our programs off the said principle. So specific adaptation to impose demands. Uh, I'm a big fan of point, point two. It was uh, elite coaches, elite coaches from, train their athletes with a specific purpose in mind. And I, I just put out an article on specificity, and uh, you said specificity, not stupidity, and kind of left a dramatic pause for the audience. And I think I was the only person that got it. Yeah, I think 
you know, I, I use the example a lot of times, like a lot of baseball players or coaches will lash a rubber band to something, you know, above their head and get into these rotation principles. And we look at it and go, the demands of that band are far different than the demands of that sport in terms of acceleration and deceleration as far as physics is concerned. But yet we turn that as specificity, right? And I think that's what the thing is, is we look at specificity as this really generic sort of, well, it's got to look like the movement pattern. The movement pattern is only step one. Step two is energy systems, right? And then third is, are you, it's not about, especially in physics, Newton's second law goes both ways. It's not just always about force production. It's about force management, right? Changing direction, deceleration, landing. That's where most injuries occur. So specificity isn't just going, well, they're going to throw this weighted baseball or go through the throwing motion. You're only hitting, you're only hitting step one. Again, because you're not, it's not just the plane of movement. It's the energy system and it's the velocity. And if you're not hitting those three terms, then you're really only, again, the process is only going to take you so far. Hey, Jeff, without, I guess, calling anybody out, what prompted this type of, of talk? Where are you witnessing this stuff? Who, you know, who are maybe where? Are you seeing the kind of the BS? We like to say we're battling the bullshit, you know, and, it, and it's like you're putting, you're putting a lot of momentum behind what you guys do at your facility, but is it your competition in the area? Is it the parents saying, well, my kid does this over at this gym. Why don't we do it here? Right, it's a combination of a lot of those things. There, there are people in the area, like every area, that tends to follow this moniker of following, you know, let's, let's keep up the Joneses. Let's, let's see who can do this the most or most exaggerated form of that movement. And that's great if that's the goal, right? I mean, it, it is definitely not a, like that's, – that's where CrossFit takes a lot of heat, for example, is that the necessary need for a lot of that sport is to get way out there and overreach. But when we're talking about certain aspects of sport, we've kind of lumped them all together. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's, that's not the thing. Is There's people in the area, right? It's, for us, it's education first. There's some people in the area. But I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time over the last two or three years at big universities, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, and it is a nightmare of what they're having these kids do. Um, in terms of specificity, right? The periodization model doesn't change. They're not even doing a periodization model. Uh, there's no programming. It's become, uh, you know, as, at least from my experience, I think uh, people don't necessarily know what to do. So I think the easiest thing to do is to kind of almost like trace, you know, they can, you know, understand like, okay, hey, like you said, like a baseball player, like there's some form of transverse plane, there's rotation. So now we're going to try to mimic it in the weight room. And what I've always said, I mean, uh, coming from my background is uh, I didn't learn skills in the weight room. Uh, skills, you know, uh, the weight room was about developing strength and speed and GPP and all that. And then I had to basically develop these skills or sharpen them so that I could effectively go out and use them on the field. I wasn't trying to fucking train sports specific in the weight room. And it was a, a term and just a methodology that drove me absolutely fucking crazy. Um, and when I used to hear this, like, oh, you know, uh, you know, we're doing sports specific. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're using like a specific time domain? Well, we're going to have pads. We're going to have football. I mean, um, it's like, uh, uh, you know, this guy years ago sent me this video of uh, apparatus he created where he took a football helmet, he put <laughs> a pad on top of the helmet, and he was basically bringing the barbell down to the pad and then doing jerks off of the hel helmet 
and he was trying to tell me that he was doing sports specific training in the weight room. Yeah, sports specific push presses. Push presses because they were wearing a football helmet. And he was, uh, you know, getting the neck ready. And the guy asked me what I thought. I said, first of all, you're a fucking idiot because two, you're cervically loading the spine, which is, uh, you know, axial loading, which you should never fucking do. And two, why would you set your athlete up for that? And then what also is some weird partial range of motion going to do? I told the guy, I was like, just stop. Like, honestly, like that was probably one of the lowest moments I've ever seen of somebody not understanding the methodology and trying to extrapolate it out. And a lot of stuff I've seen, I mean, especially when I, uh, uh, I went down and worked with a team this summer that was a high, uh, pretty high level, uh, collegiate football team. And just even doing some basic stuff, just like doing some like, uh, you know, getting on the uh, uh, the belt squat and just basically doing some walks, just seeing if people could actually stabilize their trunk under different loads. Um, you know, like it, it was, it's always amazing to see where, you know, college kind of gets because I think, um, you know, they end up with such great athletes that a lot of times it doesn't really matter what they do. And then once they kind of, you know, cascade up and it kind of moves into like a, you know, a, a, like, you know, higher level uh, or uh, speciality, kind of similar for you guys. I mean, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work with NSW for a long time and the guys that I see in, you know, different teams. And then when you, once you go across the street and you get into like the more kind of high tech type stuff, you see just kind of a cascading deal where people have to get more technical and more advanced. I mean, I think the same thing happens. And um, I'm sure you've seen the same stuff around. I mean, in high school and college, or once you get down into high school, it gets even worse than anybody that can open a gym is offering sports-specific training, which is probably what you guys are fighting against. Yeah, I mean, that's a nail in the head for sure. And I think that we, we, I kept catching myself teaching, and same with our, our strength coaches here and my business partner, is that it's, I, I take it very personal, right? Just like the guy hawking that ridiculous apparatus with the football helmet to you is that, it's super disrespectful, in my opinion. I got to pull the video and, like, I got to find it. You know, it. I wish back in the day we had, like, I was – we were prepared to make the responses like we made to that dude who wanted to negotiate with the CEO. Oh. Like, send this guy be like, strap that helmet dude, on. We, Go walk to some we, train tracks and we wait get, for the next freight train. We get the fucking craziest email <laughs> sent to us. And uh, people used to send us this stuff. And actually, one of the guys that worked for me started as a spoof site. It was called Danger Watch. And he started creating things that were like, I want you to put a thousand pound deadlift on a train track and, and, I, and I want you to, to hand, hand, handcuff yourself to the bar <laughs> and I want you to pull deadlifts. Oh, uh, dude, you got to go, like, you got to like, and, you and, got, if you're listening, go find like, because it, that's still up. Danger still up. still up. <laughs> but it, it was a response to just the, the ridiculousness. I mean, we, um, you know, just seeing what people would do. I mean, even in college, like, uh, I trained, a you know, we don't necessarily work with athletes on site anymore. I sold my commercial gym. I just, uh, it became one of those things where, and I'm sure you'll run into this too, where you actually want it more than the athletes want it. And like after a while, it like just started stealing my soul where I would come in and like people wouldn't take direction, wouldn't take coaching and they would, you know, or cheat reps or, or not put in an honest effort. I'm like, dude, you're paying to be here. You're paying to, to come here to get better, but yet you don't want to get better. And they were like, well, I don't want that much. And I'm like, fuck, after a while you realize, like, I want it more than these people. And then it starts affecting you negatively. And I was like, I got to get out of this gym game. But, uh, like, it just was uh, so amazing to see what people would come up with to try to mimic sport. And, uh, you know, we said all the time, I'm like, dude, you just need to be strong, stable. Um, you know, we can build speed. We can develop posture. I mean, we can do a lot of really cool jiggy things in the weight room. But at the end of the day, um, your weight room performance is only going to influence your performance out of the field of battle or, or on the field or this or that. I'm like, you could have a 500 pound squat, but that doesn't translate into something. And I'm sure, dude, you saw it too in your community. I'm sure there were guys that were, 
you know, fucking weight room warriors that, uh, you know, you didn't want to be anywhere near if they were live action. And I'm sure there were other guys that probably walked in the weight room, like looking like they were crippled old men, but you know, that was the guy you were going to select first on your team if you had to go anywhere dangerous. So, I mean that, and that was something I always ran into was, um, how do you translate what you do in the weight room and in the off season of your training meaningful into, you know, be able to accomplish your task. And that was what was so fun about the NFL because at the end of the day, I didn't get paid to lift weights. I got paid to perform much. I'm sure like you too. I mean, you know, the training's great and all, but until, but the way guys, you know, get to where they are is not based on what they did in the training. It's what they did in the action, right? No, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's, that's where like professional athletes or ex professional athletes and myself or whatever, that's where the real bridge is. I mean, that there's a lot of lot. There's, there's a lot that we have in common. It's just that there's so much other crap that people talk about to try to create that commonality. And it's not, that's not, that's not the reality at all. So one quote you had, Jeff was coaches, they forgot to develop players. Now it's all about numbers, numbers, numbers. And that led to your third point where elite coaches look at obstacles and see the opportunity. So could you expand on that and player development? Yeah. They, again, this is directly correlated to my experience and observation with high level NFL and, and college and MLB places that I've been around is that like, I've been asked to consult for X, Y, and Z and do these sort of things on, on other and other things. And I get, I get to kind of get my foot in the door and take a look. And I see that, I've had three instances this year where three top 10 nationally ranked football coaches in the NCAA have said to me, I just don't have time. And that's amazing to me because you have four years. In some cases you don't because, you know, in certain universities that their graduation rate is 13%. um, So they're not going to be around for four years. But the point is, is that, when you said that you don't have, or they don't have time, are you talking about they don't have time to develop the athletes or the yeah, coaches? Like, hey, like, yeah, like why, why aren't you front or back squatting these guys? Like really, like really doing it well. Like why aren't you really going through the foundational stuff of make sure that they can safely not just push the weight, but decelerate the weight. Why can't they squat? Why can't they bench? Like, Again, if you look at the NFL Combine, there was a 298-pound offensive lineman that was invited to the NFL Combine, injury-free, that did 225 for 13 reps. You know, now, again, we can pick on that individual all day, but the point is is that it's the same thing with RG3 or anybody else. Like, this person is a great performer, but yet, you know, it's – I think what you're getting at is that the – the coaches are failing to prepare the athletes for the rigors and the demands on which yes. they faced. Yes. Um, you know, if, if I had a kid who, uh, you know, came in injury-free, had no issues, and he could only bench 225 13 times, he's either not trying or he somehow got lost and never found the weight room. I mean, exactly. that's uh, – yeah, like, so it's more about, like, coming back to the SEAL community, kind of as well, my first interaction with an NFL team was, wasn't about the training so much. It was about preparation. So just what you're saying – that right there is a total failure of preparation. Sure. And to your point, too, is like, yeah, maybe that guy did not give a damn about training, but yet he was talented enough to get to go there. Well, I can tell you that from – you know as well, like the NFL combine, in my opinion, is more about if you don't show up, if you don't show the preparation, it can definitely hurt you. 
Well, the uh, the NFL Combine, I remember uh, one of our scouts, um, I, I got drafted uh, fourth round to the Eagles. I was the second pick in the fourth round, and I came in and I started as a rookie and then basically went on to start for my next nine years. And I remember Tom Modrak, who drafted me in Philly, came in, and uh, he was like, yeah, you, you know, pretty good Combine. And I was like, oh, great. You know, I, I think I ran like a, you know, 503 electronic. I mean, I had uh, I had 30-plus on the bench, and they took three off, so I ended up at 27, and I had like a 30-and-a-half-inch vertical and yeah, went through all these numbers, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. He's like, yeah, you know what? The combine is uh, nothing more than a fashion show. Yeah. I'm like, what, what do you mean? He goes, all you go for is you just basically – you have an idea of who the athlete is, and when you go to the combine, all you want to do is be reassured that the athlete is exactly the person that you expect him to be, and more important, that he cared enough to prepare for it. That's it. Yeah, it's Yeah, he's like, all you do is you give him a little check. That's it. So you're going there already expecting those, dude, I watched you. I watched like, you know, what, four years of college. I saw, you know, hundreds or whatever it is. I talked to every one of your coaches. I knew exactly who you were and that I wanted to draft you before the combine. When you went to the combine, I just put a little check. And he goes, that's it. We saw you run. You did great. Everything was perfect. And he goes, you know, and I'm like, well, what about guys? He's like, there's always going to be like a Mike Mamula who's off everybody's radar and comes in and verts 40 inches and has this like crazy combine. And there'll be some idiot like we were at the Eagles that jumps out and drafts him because they got to have that guy or Al Davis, whose deal was he would always draft the fastest guy in the combine. But he goes, that's not even players. And I remember like Mo was like so insightful for me. And I realized for a lot of stuff, it's just, are you the person that we expect you to be? Can you pass the drug test? That was another big one. They bring, I swear to God, do they bring guys in the combine? And it's an intelligence test. Can he pass the drug test? If you show yeah. up and get popped for weed at the combine, you're a fucking dumb fuck, and they're not going to draft you. They call it the retard test yeah. in the NFL because it's, it's, it's been negotiated. The player association negotiated in advance every year. There's that one day that you have to test. Yeah, yeah so, it's in the offseason. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's, that's the home run right there in terms of strength conditioning, training, coaching, whatever it is, is like, that's the process. The process is preparation, right? And to your point again, is like this person may not care and that's okay to some degree. I'm not going to waste my time on them, but that's really, really what I'm looking at is we as coaches, a lot of times have fallen in that same sort of, we'll lump ourselves in there. I will, but let's say as coaches, we tend to end up shadowing the nonchalance attitude of our athletes. But yet, the strength coaches are the first ones to yell and scream and say, hey, like, I'm valuable. Pay me. Pay me. I spend more time than anybody else. Like, pay me. But yet, we're the first person to just – they're not first. We are still in that broken mold of the same shit that we've always been doing. You know, strength coaches are, are kind of an interesting deal, on, um, uh, at least my experience. Um, I probably had more interaction with my strength coaches than any other coach on the field. Uh, you know, obviously my position coach in the offensive line, but the amount of time you spend with your strength coach in the off season, uh, you know, is just, you, you develop just a much more rich experience with them. Um, like all, every one of my strength coaches from uh, both uh, college and the NFL, I'm still really good friends with. Um, you is know, that unique to a guy like you though, who well, I, saw I, the I, light? Well, I like to train and it's like, if you're going to pay me to, to bang weights, I'm going to go bang weights. Like uh, there, there were guys that wouldn't do it. I'm like, dude, if you're paying me to do this shit, uh, I'm happy to train. I like to run. I like to train. I like to lift weights. And, I, and I, I'm always in, uh, interested in self-improvement. And here's an opportunity for me to go and improve. But I never romanced myself into thinking that this is all I had to do. 
And I remember guys are like, oh, I just want to go in and try to train. I'm like, do you guys want to do some, some hand footwork? You guys want to do this, this, and this? And people would be like, no, I'm not going to do that stuff. And I'm like, dude, that's the craft. I mean, um, and more importantly, I found that if I continued to hone my craft as I got bigger and stronger, everything seemed to work. It was the guy that put on 20 pounds in the offseason and didn't run that all of a sudden didn't, you know, couldn't use his body in space. And we talk a lot about this idea of body awareness you know, not only your body in relation to other people, but into implements and whatever. And a big part of our training is, you know, can I move my body through space in relationship to other things, whether it be, you know, snatch, clean and jerk, even something as basic as a push up or a pull up, you know, can I move my body in relationship to another thing? And can I control myself? Can I start kind of coordinating things? And, um, you know, that's where I really see a lot of people really struggling. It's just, they don't look at training in terms of this kind of holistic approach that not only am I trying to get stronger and faster, but I'm trying to increase my coordination in relation to other things. And then, you know, if you do talk to people like that, they're going to have you do stupid shit like bouncing on a fucking boosu ball. I mean, so it's like, and, and I think that's where we really struggle. I mean, we talk about these, these principles of how do you do it, but then when you turn people out on their own, they come up with stupid shit and they're bouncing on a boosu ball with one leg trying to do a clean. And at that point, they just break their neck. So, I mean, it's like you look at these ideas of risk versus reward. How do you do it? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, strength conditioning has become such a weird little kind of click of people where it's like, you know, um, I learned from so-and-so and he does this, so now I do this. When in reality, it should be just based on wins and losses. Did I create the best athletes? You know, and more importantly, uh, everybody looks to see what the best school, you know, like the team with the most wins and losses but a lot of time, if you're Alabama or Texas or these teams, you get the best fucking athletes anyway. So it's like, I mean, you know, you can take the best athletes in the world and you put them with like a single Nautilus machine and they're still going to be the best fucking athletes. Yeah. And I think like that's where it is. Is like, you know, people build this inherent value into things. And I'm sure you've seen it too. Is like, I'm sure you have guys in your, in your gym that walked in day one without training and they're the best performers. And all they did was get better. And you got other guys that, that slave and kill themselves that will never reach and attain it. So it's like, it's a constant battle, dude. Yeah, and I think that that's my, – my approach is this, and that's what keeps me on the keel is this, is that if we're talking about we, – we always talk about skill and specificity and trying to make it be as specific as we can with our, like I said, our energy systems, planes of movement, and, and, and those sort of things in our training. So it does translate into sport. But the beautiful thing about our job is that I'm only biased to one thing, and that's effort. I don't give a shit, I don't give a shit how good you are. I only care about, at the end of the day, like you said, do you care to be here? Because we interview everyone. We interview athletes. We interview parents. If they're not here, they're gone. And if they show up and don't show up, they get counseled. They get counseled again, and we send them home. Never come back. What's that process like, the parent and athlete interview? I'm curious to hear this. Because, yeah, it's it's the needs analysis, right? We sit down with the parent, and we say, okay, what are the goals? This And and really, again, my background – in naval social warfare, I spent a lot of time, for lack of, better, lack of a better term, questioning liars. And all I'm trying to do, I'm sitting back, kind of looking and seeing, number one, is this athlete speaking for him or herself, or is the parents the one that keeps saying, we, 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 or he, he, or she? Like, he needs this, she needs this, instead of the athlete going, hey, I really like this, I really like this. Right? It's an interview process, and they don't know that necessarily. Um, they're getting to know that now because the word's kind of out, but it's, why are you here? What are your goals? And it, first of all, I'm looking at it as who's answering the question is the athlete or the parent? Pretty simple, right? If the parent won't shut up, I'll pull the athlete aside and go, Hey, you know what? You know, tell me about, it. we had a girl that came in here that played volleyball and swam and I pulled her away from her mom and dad. 
And I was like, so what's the deal? And she's like, my mom, that's all she wants me to do is do this and do that. She's like, my dad doesn't care. And I go, what the fuck do you want to do? And she's like, I don't want to do this at all. I'm like, all right, that's all. But she had to be with her team here, her club team. So we just managed it that way. My thing for her is just like, let's see if we can just not hurt her. Cause she was double dipping. She was playing volleyball and swimming. Her shoulder was all fucked up. And I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's see if we can just manage that. Let's, let's get her the normal attacks and ice and the game ready and, and certain things. But that's okay if you don't want to be here. But don't waste my time. First, pretend. Yeah, right. Yeah. Did you, you ever confront the parents? I have, yeah. We, we've, we've, we've had three parents. We pulled in here and sat in and said, this is what's going on. Um, it's, there's no value in it. And they get kind of upset. And one mom in particular scooped her daughter up and ran out and never came back. And it's, that's okay. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like life's a lot easier after shit like that. Yeah, it's funny because some of the parents came up and were like, thank you, Jesus. Like, she is. <laughs> so... The uh, I, the one thing that struck me a little bit, and, and I've, I've seen this with my own kids, I got twin twin daughters that are four and a half, and I take them to gymnastics and swim, and they do their stuff, and uh, even seeing my niece and nephew go, parents are so fucking involved. Uh, like, I'm at gymnastics, and these parents are like on these kids, you know, these seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old girls, and this mom asked me, and I'm like, I'm just really excited for my daughter's to have fun. Yeah, I'm here and, to get early and jump in the foam pit. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah, and that's what I do. I, I actually show up early and I run down the track and like try to jump in the foam pit. And his parents are like, look at me crazy. I'm like, believe me, if, uh, if I had to kick off work every day from three to four and go to a gymnastics place and jump in the foam pit, I'd do it. I don't, I don't know how much that costs, but, um, the one that strikes me and my brother coaches and, uh, my, both my brothers played in college football and, uh, my, my nephew's like 10 and these parents are so fucking like rabid. And, uh, you know, you need to play my my kid. He's got talent in this. And my brother tells him all the time. He's like, dude, my brother played in the NFL for a decade. Like he was a terrible fucking baseball player. He's like at 10 years old, your kid is not really going to be like, this isn't the path. Like you yeah. have to be a little bit like you guys are thinking your 10 year old son's going to be playing major league baseball. He's like, I'm just telling you, dude, my brother, I, and I, I did suck at baseball. I just wasn't <laughs> very good. And, uh, I could hit, but like, I couldn't run the bases. I was uncoordinated and just a bunch of other shit. And, uh, but it's like, I think parents, what they do is they almost see their shortcomings a little bit. And then they try to live vicariously through the athletes. And um, all it ends up doing is just killing the desire. I mean, it's almost like, I just want you to go out there and have fun. As long as you're not having fun, then we'll go find something else to have fun. Before we, before a team trains in here, we have a, above us, above me is the, the office space. We have a recovery loft with have Norma Techs and game rays and stuff in it. And that's where the parents lounge is as well to oversee the training facility. But before anyone trains, we take all the parents, the coaches and the athletes upstairs. And we read through the rules for the parents and the kids. And one of them is if at any point we, feel, we, we understand or under the impression that the kids are here vicariously through the parents, training, training ends and there is no refund. It's in our rules. Um, and, and we believe in it. Like it's not a threat because it's not, number one, there's the vast majority of the kids that want to be here are here. There's a couple that are just trying to play keep up with the Joneses. Like his kids, like they're not quite sure where they fit in. And some of them are just like, it's a social, it's a social thing, which is fine. But in this environment, socially, like in baseball, basketball, there's, there's, there's some okayness to it. It's a terrible word, but in this environment, when our, our litmus test for success or failure is effort, it doesn't work at all. They become a huge distraction and it becomes dangerous, especially when we start getting, so we have some high level athlete teams that are doing Olympic jerks overhead and some other things where it can be, can, it can be dangerous, right? So we don't cut any corners because if we're trying to be who we are, we need to be that. Like we're not going to pretend like, cause 
there, like, there's some CrossFit gyms in here that do it really, really well. That's not our lane. There's some bodybuilding gyms here that do it really, really well. That's not our lane. Like, this is our lane, and we have to do it better than anyone else. Otherwise, we're just a gym. So how long have you been in operation? You said 19 months. About yeah. 19 months. And then has this always been part of the, the culture and mission statement? Yeah, like, since, since day one. Since yeah. day one. Like, we, we only have not, – not that we exclude anybody – um, we, we have, I think seven individuals and that's it. And the rest are teams or what we'll do is like, cause there's a lot of high schools there. We'll collect like the football players from different schools and we put them in a, we call a team and it's, they're on the same periodization program. Dude, uh, from just from uh, looking online, the gym looks pretty amazing. I'm just pretty amazed that actually you guys funded it with all those solid gold AKs that you took from Saddam Hussein's uh, uh, palace. <laughs> but anyway, those are – did you get to see those? Have you been yeah. to Japan? Yeah, no, I saw them on the website. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, those, those, yeah, all Uday's and Kusei's solid gold stuff. Or, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, all the Rolex stores in Baghdad, they got raided too. Those always helped yeah. too. It came back a whole that's, a, that's, a, that's a story time can last forever with <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah one one of my uh good friends um similar lane as you he was taught he was telling us stories about uh you know when they went into baghdad you know at the airport like all the jewelry everything was just gone he like went through and he's like oh somebody's going home with a bunch of rolexes so it was kind yeah. of a good joke and yeah, they, I, I, yeah don't get me started because i've seen i've seen it man i've i've seen rooms full of gold and then the next morning, it's gone. I, I also heard that they when it, <laughs> There's some really, really, really wealthy generals in the Marine Corps right now. <laughs> so, yeah, we we were doing Overwatch for them in Ramah in, in Fallujah. The first push through some of the snipers, and we blew loopholes in the buildings to shoot out of. And we were inside of a bank. And we one of the guys blew a loophole. And we shined a light in it. And it was a, you know, like an 800 square foot vault just full of gold. Next morning we went through there. It was all gone. <laughs> uh, somebody wow. had yeah, some serious man hours to get that yeah. stuff out of there. Oh yeah. Wow. That's dude. That's a trip. The, the, uh, I, I heard the story about, uh, the swimming pools at Saddam Hussein's, uh, uh, palace, but also when they came in, they found hundreds of half burned hundred dollar bills. Yeah. And I guess they had been lighting their cigars with, with hundred dollar bills. Oh, and there was literally like hundreds of these things everywhere. So that was, uh, uh, pretty hilarious. So, I mean, dude, yeah, I can, I guess, I can imagine. Like Arab, Arab wealth is a different level. Like it's a totally different level when you're dealing with oil. Like it's yeah. our richest of the rich it would be cleaning the shitters of Arab wealthy people. That's how yeah. that's the difference. I've heard like the, like the Saudis would like the Hawks. I mean, they like Falcons and just crazy shit. I mean, they, when you go into Dubai and the police cars are Ferrari, Ferraris and Lamborghinis, that's, that's, that's the red flag. Like this is a different level of wealth. And the police are yeah. Ferraris. So whatever. Well, uh, you know what? And, uh, my, my favorite is the, um, the fact that, you know, like you look at all those like Syrian refugees and all this, and I'm like, they're from, you know, the Muslim country and yet the Saudis won't open their fucking borders, even though they have like hundreds of miles of fucking air conditioned tents that they could house all those people. They don't fucking want them. Saudis don't shit where they sleep. Like that's no. the difference between that Arab world. In my opinion, is like same in, in other, in Eastern, in, in Eastern Asia, like the Japan, the Korea and all those sort of things. There's in that culture, there's very much a picking order. Like yeah. don't call, don't call someone that's Japanese Filipino. They'll be pissed. Right, just like you would never call a Saudi like 
an Iraqi, there's a good chance that they're going to try and kill you. Like they're yeah. super, they're going to be not being crazy. They're going to be really insulted is my point. So well, yeah, you're talking about thousands of years of conflict. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, the Shia, uh, um, like the Sunnis, like when, you know, you know, when Saddam Hussein was there and like, I always think like you probably need a crazy person to kind of run that place. And so we end up taking him out. I mean, dude, when those people rise up, he would go mustard gas and kill like a hundred thousand of them and calm those fuckers down. And then all of a sudden he goes out and now you see like the stuff that's happening. I mean, it's, uh, I, I always wonder if like, you know, you go and you destabilize that stuff. You just need, you do, you need bad dictators and people willing to do bad shit to people to kind of keep that in mind. I was told this once, I, I guess I don't have any literature to back it up, but up until the point of Saddam's, uh, his regime, I guess you have ended. If you go back in history to as far as it's been recorded, every single person that's taken power has been taken power, has taken power by force. Yeah. Up well, to they that they never really understand power. anything. I mean, there, there's never been anything else. That's like, what they got. Like, uh, yeah. The, the idea of democracy and this idea, I mean, it just doesn't fucking exist. So, I mean, at, at, I mean, so then you get into this idea where, you know, uh, you have like, you know, America's real good on being able to so let's go spread our American values that everybody should live and have democracy and this and rights. And you're basically spreading it to people that really don't want it. And yeah, frankly, no have no fucking interest in it. I mean, you know, you're talking about like, you know, uh, you know, equality for, you know, between, you know, between for women and all that. They've never had it fucking general. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy. There's actually a pretty good book, um, uh, that, you know, I just got recommended sort of off of Amazon that talks about the idea that, you know, uh, a lot of the conflicts that we have is this idea of basically spreading, you know, the American ideal and this idea of like, you know, we have to protect our fucking energy and you know, our cheap oil and a lot of these things destabilize. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. And what's, what's great in today's world is actually this shit comes out, you know, 40 years ago, we didn't know anything about it because there was no internet. There was nothing. So, I mean, now we're getting more and more good information. So, um, totally your plan. We came, we totally came off the rails, huh? Yeah. Oh, standard. I mean, I'm actually surprised it took us almost 40 minutes. Yeah. To I, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> frankly, I, I, I always love talking, uh, um, a lot of these conflicts and a lot of these problems with guys that actually served over there. Yeah. Because I think the problem is, is that as Americans, we don't travel the world. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate through not only, uh, you know, traveling, but also what we do here across the football. I mean, we travel to the ends of the earth, uh, teaching this stuff and it just gives you an appreciation. And so when you talk to guys like you that actually were, you know, over there and saw the conflict, I mean, it's great to sit over here and drive a Prius and, you know, sitting here and have my fucking latte and talk about, Hey, you know, this is terrible. And I can't believe this. Our this, political, yeah, should our, do our political this. agenda should do this. And then you talk to guys that were actually in the fight and Hey, this is, you know, let, let me break you off a little bit of fucking reality and talk to yeah. you about what's really happening. And I think the idea is that, uh, you know, we'd love to create this, like, almost, like, layer of this facade, like, of separation where it's happening somewhere else, and then I could be judgmental about it. And then you talk to guys being like, dude, I lived for six months in a fucking goat's asshole in the sand and uh, trying to, you know, bring America's ideals to people that, one, don't read, don't have education, and don't give a fuck about it. And, what, and you know, and we've lost valuable friends. I mean, I'm sure you, you know, but guys that I know, good friends, fucking have lost their lives for this shit and um you know and but yet you know you just that's, that's exactly why i'm passionate about the things i am i am in my in this new world this new role that this i guess this revisiting of the role that i'm in is because my litmus test or my my, my barometer for bullshit 
and I'm good with it. Like I can be PC, you know, especially the, the, the two and a half years I've now been removed from the military. <clears throat> you and I couldn't have had this conversation two and a half years ago in a very intellectual manner. I just been ranting. I'd have just been, I'd have been on fire, just angry. Right. Well, good. Let's go get some drinks and fucking <laughs> so, fires light the fires. Ten doors box. No, it's kind of like we're a byproduct of our experiences to 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 a big degree. My experiences from the Navy, from the military, and then now I'm starting to seeing reminiscent sort of bullshit in the strength conditioning world. I'm looking at it and going, hey, now we're we all of us are in a position to call bullshit, and and that's what a lot of us are, you know we're going to win this battle of just the nonsense because at some point people are just, there's, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot more positive avenues of education out there now. So we're going to win that battle, but it's, it's nice now that I, I can have a point to go, Hey, this is how things should go. In my opinion. And people aren't going, you're the fucking crazy one. Like we should do it this way. Well, um, you know what we run into and what you're basically running head into is this idea of butthurt. Uh, here we go. <laughs> we've, we've found this thing where, um, you know, and, and uh, I always respect people that have um, taken their training and used it to perform at the highest level. Uh, for me, that was what I did. And for you guys, it's way more meaningful. I mean, I, I know anytime I got a chance to work with you guys, I was like, dude, what we're learning here today uh, hopefully puts you in a situation to come home safe from, you know, wherever you're headed. And to me, that's like the highest level of training. I mean, can you take your training to come home safely? and execute your mission. And the problem is, is that, uh, people don't look at it like that. I mean, I, you know, I didn't necessarily train to, to go out and, you know, be able to perform. I trained to, to fucking survive the task. You know, was I strong enough to be able to take the beating, to hand out the beating and fucking come home after the game on Sunday and not die. And, um, like, I don't think people take that same approach. And then when you have done that, you know, I'm sure you, you uh, dude, I can't even fucking imagine in your situation, seeing people being like, Oh, I did, uh, um, you know, I went and I did this seal weekend or uh, buds training and it, you know, they're over there doing flutter kicks while some dude's fucking throwing sand at them. And you're like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Like that, that to me is, uh, there's so much fucking nonsensical bullshit. And the only place I've seen it more than people talking about football training is people trying to train like Navy seals. Like, uh, it, it's the only reason the perfect push up fucking sold is because it was invented by a Navy seal. If you can attach Navy seal to anything, it's fucking going to sell because, you know, they created this mystic, you know, this yeah. mystic about it. Like, and I have friends of mine that are no longer in service that are putting out a really good product and using that as kind of like a, a stepping stone at times in an ethical way. But I know the rest of them with exactly like the seal fit bullshit and all that sort of stuff. Again, if that, I, all that stuff. like if Ethic, you have to, here's it back a bit. There's a shelf life to that bullshit. There's a real shelf life to it, okay? In 30 years, in 10 years, in, in three years, if it's not sustainable, then it's bullshit, right? Nobody, nobody is going to care in two years if you were on a, some fucking mission. No one's going to care. Nobody, okay? So, I'm going to, I have, that's a big part of my past books, movies, all that stuff. I've, I've been down that road. I was, I was, it was a part of my life. But if I, if I, if I'm going on the road and talking about how awesome I am and fucking beating my chest, there's one person that doesn't give a shit above all else. And that's my son. <laughs> well, no, but, but, but also, you, you know, 
the one thing which is nice is actually you got a chance to reinvent yourself and do something else, um, which to me is is really the idea of what everybody should strive for, which is basically a renaissance man. Like, you know, I, I was fortunate to do my job, and now I got an opportunity to go do a new job and learn new things and teach people and talk about my experiences in a meaningful way that helps other people improve. Now, if the extent of my fucking life was I played in the NFL and now I'm on TV and all I do is talk about the NFL and who the fuck I was. Um, to me, uh, you know, people always ask like, oh, you know, like how come you didn't want to jump on TV and be a sportscaster? And my thing was like, I did that job. I want to go do something else. If my existence is to parasite off of who I was in my 20s and early 30s for the next fucking 30 years of my life, really, is that the mark of my life that like the coolest shit I did? I'm like, dude, I'm always trying to move forward and reinvent myself and fucking find a whole new path. And I think what, uh, what you're talking about doing is taking your experiences and opening up something new and doing something new opposed from just traveling on the world or, you know, on the road, fucking talking about, you know, war stories or, you know, having dudes buy you drinks at the bar because of so-and-so. And you're like, Hey man, like, dude, uh, this is something who I am. And this is something that definitely is a piece of me, but it's not going to define me. And, right. uh, it's like, you don't have the community like you in the NFL and I in the SEAL community, when that road comes to an end, I don't have a community to plug myself back into to kind of get more stupid stories. Like when it comes to an end, then it's pretty fucking lonely. And then you got to, then you have to reinvent yourself with no moment. Yep. Like, absolutely. My former life, the first, the last two and a half years, there's been opportunities where it's gotten my foot in the door. Once I get my foot in the door, they, I had a couple people in professional sports go, holy shit. Like we brought you in for this. And then you open your mouth and like, you're, you're pretty, pretty educated person. Like you're in like, that's my, I got it. I got my foot in the door and now I'll be make myself useful. And I think that's the thing with the SEAL community is that for the most part, if those individuals, like they, they feel like they've got nothing to offer other than the bullshit stories. They're not bullshit in the sense of degrading what we've done. But the point is, is that, if people in my former community were to get out and attack the world with the same veracity and work ethic that they did whilst in, like, in my opinion, I feel like we could really do whatever we wanted because we're going to get our foot in the door. And if you're an asshole, then you just, you just ruined it. I mean, and I think that's the problem is you want to be, you want to be competent. You want to be a little bit arrogant. You want to be those Use that to get you in, but once you get in, then make your mark. Don't just keep riding the fucking coattails of the community that really has forgotten you. And if a term that was always used in our community is, this community is an emotionless machine that will keep rolling without you. And I know that NFL is just like that. Oh, yeah. Right? The moment you get released, someone's coming right behind you, and you just lost your player's card. Essentially, like, no one cares. Well, and, and the, the, where guys get fucked up is when all of a sudden the, end, uh, the ride ends, uh, they try to live that life or they try to stay in the game or this and that. I mean, when I retired, that was it. You know, I was like, fuck, man. Like, the dude's hitting me up. Hey, we're going. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah, and now all of us get to suffer. My tax <laughs> yeah, don't get to go any fucking Playboy Mansion, Maxim parties with fucking, you know, the, private jet to Brazil guys, or whatever. Yeah, these guys ask me questions. We're and taking I, and, a fucking, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them a little bit of stories and they'll look at me and be like, are you kidding me? I'm like, it's like you should have known me 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I'm like, fuck, I'm a, I'm, <laughs> I'm a dad now. I, I, I work, you know, this is what we do. I mean, it's just, um, like, I, I always think that those experiences are rich and I, I wouldn't trade them for anything, but, uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, you got a long life to live, like go, go be a new fucking person. And it just always kills me with a lot of guys I worked with who, you know, are, um, you know, sportscasters are on TV and all they end up doing is talking about like, they never leave it. Like they were so scared to leave the confines of what they did. So they either go into coaching where I'm going to be a position coach because I got nothing else to offer. Uh, yeah. or, uh, I'm going to go and talk about it in the media. And even the guys that are kind of fringe dudes try it. And I might like, fuck that. Go do something new. Like, um, you know, for, for me, frankly, uh, I was, when I got hurt, I was, uh, as I, I got hurt in my 10th year, came over with a knee surgery and I was filling out my law school applications. And that's what I was planning to do. I was going to go back and uh, go to law school, which I was planning to do before. And then literally I got kind of just on a whim stuck into this, um, you know, CrossFit hit me up about, being able to help them develop more of a, a, you know, a power side of what they were doing and ask me about my training and what I'd be interested in uh, talking to people about it. And that's what really started this journey. And I, I was just more amazed that people wanted to know this shit. I didn't think anybody outside of uh, professional football wanted to really know about strength, speed, and power. I mean, dude, I, I had no concept. I thought most normal people just went to the gym and fucking did stupid split squats on a Smith machine and did like Zumba classes. So it blew my fucking mind that there was actually people that wanted to know this stuff. And I was even more amazed when uh, the first time I got uh, invited to go talk to the guys from NSW, how fucking archaic their training was. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself. How long ago was that? uh, 2010. And I remember um, coming in and being like, you guys are professional athletes of the highest order. Why don't you start training like it? You know, I mean, you guys have no fucking periodization. You guys are either going to work up, you know, and give, give me this bullshit. Oh, we can't eat well. We can't sleep because we're on the road. I'm like, no, dude, you guys are, are eating like shit and sleeping like shit because you're fucking working all day and then you're fucking drinking all night. You know, just being able to offer a little bit. I mean, um, it just, it was pretty interesting. Just a lot of the parallels that I saw with NFL players and the SEALs was, was so high. I mean, just this, because it's, it really takes a type A personality, a very unique individual to do that type of job. I mean, you have to be, a little fucking stupid, a little bit crazy, and highly reckless to be able to do both those jobs. And that recipe definitely plays for, you know, that type A personality, which is a self-destructive personality, which is going to be a person that burns the bones of candle both ends. Right, and that's where I think, the, like, this, the exact conversation we have is that all those people that are selling the NFL or selling the CO community are selling the wrong thing. They're not selling the valuables piece. The valuable thing is what we're talking about. It's like, if you want to be a fucking SEAL, join the Navy. If you want to be in the NFL, go play college football, high school. You know, go, go, give, go for it, right? I can't do it in a weekend by paying $399 and get some, BD, uh, some fucking Daisy right. fucking shorts? I mean, and, and the, beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about the SEAL community is that it takes one fucking thing. It takes, it takes no – I mean – don't let me degrade the point of like talent and certain things that we've acquired or whatever, but this is a- to make that leap of faith, it takes effort. That's it. Go to a fucking recruiter, walk in there and go, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. All right. And then, but you can take, here's, here's the, here's the curveball is this. And again, this is why the PowerPoint and the presentation of summer strong ensued was because it's, it's really, really fucking simple. It's super simple. It's, if you're going to put your money, you know, where your mouth is, then do it. But if you're not, and you're selling the idea of training like a seal, the entire, the, the entire programming for buds is based off of attrition, quitting, making people quit, make it so difficult that people quit. That model does not work in sport. 
if, if that mentality was taken into the NFL, there'd be no fucking teams. If you take that mentality into high school football or baseball or even wrestling, there'd be no fucking teams. None. So did you, did, did you ever work as a buds instructor? No. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. So yeah. that, that's, that's a conundrum. Now, so we, knowing that that's fact, that's, that's the deal. Like people are like, well, I'm going to have this experience. Okay. okay that, I got that. I understand. But if you're paying people 50 to $90,000 an hour to come talk to your NFL team, which happens, and you're trying to, hey, this is what I did, and you're just there beating your fucking chest for an hour, and then the team's looking at you going, well, that was cool and all, but what's our takeaway? There's no takeaway, which is why next week I'll be with an NFL team to basically pick up the fucking broken pieces of two SEALs that have gone in there and just jerked each other off. So I remember a story. It was uh, Michigan. So I can't remember the coach, but Denard Robinson was their quarterback. So one of the most amazing athletes. In fact, he's listed at the Jacksonville Jaguars as athlete, not a position. So the kid played quarterback at Michigan, and then they had SEAL instructors come in and put him through kind of a bud style. And the only player on the team to quit and give up on the whole weekend was their leader, their star player. So I don't understand the purpose when they come game one, guess who's starting? Guess who played all 10 games and took them to a bowl? So the whole purpose was lost on that weekend. Like, how did, what did the coach expect to do? I mean, you've had that conversation with a coach. What do they hope to bring with that? Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. is it, it, Now, I understand what conceptually what a coach is trying to achieve with these individuals coming in because they don't know what they don't know. And that's okay because their lane is football and, and they're the, they, they drive the pulse of that team. But that's when you start seeing these guys peddling this nonsense. Um, it, Cause I'll be, I'll make this statement and obviously I'm doing it very publicly that 99.99% of those guys that are hawking that Navy SEAL bullshit never did a combat mission in their fucking life or did anything really leadership oriented. I mean, there's another book that just got released and that guy never did a single combat mission, not a one, not fucking one, but yet he's a best-selling author, right? So because no one in our position is going to say, Hey, you by name, that's bullshit and do it in public forum. Right? So again, my itinerary right, that I'm right here that I'm going over with an NFL team for three days next week is, is okay. It's not, obviously I'm going to tell them, like, tell the story of like, okay, right. But I'm going to start looking at talk about sleep management at the highest level, recovery things. Again, the same thing we were talking about is like, okay, what can we really learn from the SEAL community? Because they are, because we were in this incredibly high stress environment away from home, a lot of travel. Um, we're having all of this central nervous system issues, migraines, pain, all these sort of things. And, and that's very parallel to the NFL. So the thing is, is how did, how did, how is the community? How am I? And people that have learned from that high stress environment, how have we learned to write that ship? And if I could have righted that ship whilst I was still active duty, I'd have far less trauma and issues than I and other people do now. Because that's the thing is like the, 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 
the shelf life or the lifespan, not life or death, but the career span of an NFL athlete, athlete is what, 2.7 years or 2.3? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of misleading because uh, if you can do the job, you end up doing it for 7, 8, 9, 10, 14 years. Yep. Uh, it, and it's kind of similar, like um, if you can't do the job, you're there for a fucking cup of coffee. Right. So, like, all, you know, and I think Troy Vincent, who's, uh, who I played with in Philadelphia, who's uh, one, of the, he's like one of the head guys in the NFL, I was at a deal, and he said in the last 20 years, 15,000 guys have played in the NFL. Uh, less than 1,000 have played longer than four years. So right. it's, uh, it's a very small percentage, but um, I was just going to give you a little heads up on that. Most of the problems that NFL players have in terms of sleep and all this other bullshit is self-induced. Self-induced, absolutely. Uh, because what they do is um, they fucking either stay up late fucking around in video games, smoking a bunch of weed, or they go out and they're chasing ass and uh, drinking too much. So, like, the, the job is an extremely uh, stressful job for, for most people in terms of the deal. But the commitment isn't like you guys where it's like, hey, uh, we're going to sleep all day because we work at night and we're out on this fucking op. And, they, I mean, it's like – and the thing that actually drove me fucking crazy is when uh, people would start using war analogies in football. And I think that's why they love to bring in SEALs because these coaches somehow fucking uh, make this analogy between this. And I, I would – I was big on, like – I'm like, dude uh, – let's not fucking go here on this dude. We're not going to war where nobody's going to get killed. Uh, there's no bullets. It's not as if we're going to leave our buddies out there. So why don't we just pull the analogy? It's like, um, when people would want to give a ton of thanks to God and that God was the reason we won this game. And I was like, so the other guys didn't pray. Like, yeah. I, you know, it just, there, there's just so much bullshit and like, they're going to go in there and they're going to talk about this and they're going to make an analogy. And you're like, at the end of the day, man, most of the problems that you guys are going to run into are because you fuckers are not managing your lives because either you're fucking children and you're overpaid and you need to fucking man the fuck up. And, you know, sadly, uh, if I would go back as an NFL, as a consultant for the NFL, I tell most of the guys being like, frankly, you guys are fucking lazy. And the reason being is most of you guys are such talented athletes that you have effectively been able, like on this side of the bell curve so that you didn't have to train, you didn't have to work, you didn't have to do anything. And you, you were still the best and you got it all. And now you're in a situation where everybody's the best. And, yep. all, and the only thing that's going to keep you here, because getting to the NFL isn't the hard part. It's staying in the NFL. I knew a lot of dudes that came in that were great, that could do it on, on a day or two. But can you do it for 24, 25, 30 weeks of going out and banging? And for me, I remember going to training camp and these dudes would come in. They'd be fucking hot rodding and all this. And I'd be like, all right, I got you. Don't worry. I'm going to see you next week. And the next week, and then about three or four weeks in, all of a sudden you come in, it looks like somebody shit on them because their face is all sad and they don't want to be there. And at that point, I would actually gain power from their misery. I'd be like, how bad do you feel? Tell me everything. And yeah. I, on that point, I would feed off of their negative energy. And then I'd look for that motherfucker on the field and I'm going to hurt that dude and I'm going to get him to quit. And when you're at your darkest moment is when I'm going to fucking feel my best. Yeah. And I know that sounds sadistic, but that's how I survived off of fucking literally off of other people's misery. And uh, you see those young guys come in who are used to a college season. It might only be 10 or 14, uh, 12 weeks. And now all of a sudden, that's fucking half of the season. Or that's uh, you, you're not even at halfway port in the NFL. So I think for most of those guys, I mean, at least the talk I would give you, and I'm sure you fucking know this, is most of those guys, a lot of the problems they're inducing themselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, because one, they have too much free time, they have too much money, and they fucking put themselves into a situation. And the other thing, too, is uh, most of the guys can't make this leap between what I used to do that got me there and more importantly, what I need to stay. And you watch the other guys that have played seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve 12 years. Those dudes haven't figured the fuck out. They don't yeah. what they need to do to be the best. They're not going to share it because that's competitive. I mean, that's the thing is like, well, actually not really. I used to share it all the time with young guys, but here's the thing. They don't want to hear it. Well, no, they couldn't fucking fathom it. 
So, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, like, you know, you brought in young seals and you probably, like, brought them under your wing and you talked to them. And it just either weren't ready for it or they couldn't process the information. They weren't in that place yet to understand it, yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, for the place you're at, I mean, you guys have probably the greatest fucking audition in the world with, I, I think, I mean, it used to be called Green Team, but, you know, now it's something else. But, I mean, you know, that was in a year-long audition. You bring guys in and, you know, I mean, that's really getting, you know, that level of, uh, of attrition to be able to get guys into that position to really test their metal. I mean, that's yeah, it's, the best yeah, exactly. Buds is definitely about attrition, right? And then in the other place, it's, it's selection and training. It's like we got to select you first to see if you're willing to receive the training. Um, and, and that's – it's not a big secret. And, that, and that's really the thing, too, is – if I were to summarize basically my entire concept of talking when I talk to people when I bring, when I'm brought in to have these conversations with people and athletes and teams is that it's not rocket science. It's really not. I don't have anything conceptually that's different than anyone else that they put together, but the format or whatever might be a little bit this because I understand like where their mindset's at, but it's, it's nothing crazy. But one thing, if you do not educate or you do not, front loaded with information you cannot hold them accountable and that's the thing too is like the, the football staff will say in the nfl a lot of teams they're so focused on their lane like you're an offensive coordinator defense square whatever it may be like they haven't looked outside of player management that falls in the gm and some you know some other people whatever but it's like you want your player to sleep better. You want your player to act, not act like an asshole. You want your player to do all these sort of things when you can only have them four to six hours a day. Um, but when they screw up and you bring them in and you go, why the fuck did you do that? And they go, well, I didn't know I couldn't. What do you mean you fucking, that's common sense. That shit ain't the case when you're 22. And sense so. is never common. Like that's what I've learned is like common sense is, is anything but common. And yeah. you know, that, that's another issue. Um, you know, you, I, I, so you go to college and like, I, I'm not sure how it is at other schools because I heard stories about other guys, but I mean, dude, we lived so far below the poverty line. It was crazy. I mean, our scholarship checks were 750 bucks a month and like we got training table one, you know, one meal just during the season. I mean, dude, we lived off of nothing. And so you go into the situation where like, you know, I would go to the ATM and I only take out 20 bucks at a time because I was pretty sure that that's all that was in there. And then you go to a situation where, you know, I'm going to school, I'm doing this job, you kind of live and you're kind of living in this deal. And then all of a sudden you sign the NFL, it's in the answer, this check. And I remember I went to the grocery store and it dawned on me that I could afford all of this cheese. I was like, I could buy all of this cheese and all this meat. And I was like, you know, for the first time I looked into my bank account and I was like, fuck, I could, you know, and it just, it just fucks with people. And there really isn't any opportunity to like help people kind of uh, like understand it. So people go through these trials and tribulations. A lot of dudes fuck up because they just go crazy and they don't understand how to do it. And then there's other guys that are 100% switched on. And the NFL is kind of like one of the best reality shows on the planet. We're going to take a bunch of people that never had anything. And then we're going to hand you a whole bunch of money and a fame. And then we're just going to step back. See what happens. See what happens. See what you crash your Ferrari. Yeah. Into. And, and it's, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, and the problem too is that all of the coaches come from football too, so they're in the same mindset. I mean, they, they, they all have failed relationships and all the other fucking problems that everybody else has, and it's just it, it's such a dysfunctional place. And um, you know, and then on top of it, you have a bunch of multi-million or multi-billionaires at the top of this thing that are just basically playing fantasy football with their other billionaire friends, except yeah. they're using actual real people for their fantasy football. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's fucked. 
Yeah. So Jeff, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Jeff, one thing you said is uh, you may not have all the answers, but the answer is out there. So John talks about stories in terms of strength and conditioning where he sought the best in the world. Can you talk about some of your experience seeking out the best for recovery, sleep, and all the avenues that you needed to perform at your best? Yeah, I think that, you know, we'll use the brain for an example. Uh, I had a lot, I've, I've had 22 concussions that I've counted. Um, and a lot of other trauma. Believe me, people have it way worse than I do, absolutely. This is, this is not me playing the world's smallest fiddle and, and feeling sorry for myself. My point is, is that I had this really interesting perspective coming from as an exercise physiologist, being an active duty SEAL and looking at these deficiencies, or what I saw as deficiencies within the community. It's like we would never skimp on bullets, body armor, helmets, all that, but we sure as shit will skimp on the person. And, and a lot of that was just like kind of just, hey, all I ever needed was water and a Motrin and just fucking go, right? I'll run through the wall. But the, everyone's broken. Everyone at some level is uncomfortable. Everyone. So I was, I was like everyone else initially. I was like, well, this is – we're given the best. We're given the best guns, the best everything, the best training. Certainly we're being, we are giving – we're on the forefront of information for, for healing ourselves, right? In our medical community, within the SEAL community, I was like, for certainly we are, right? But I got to the point where they couldn't put me back together. Um, I was very, very much strung out on pain meds uh, to the most severe. Um, and I started interacting with sports psychologists and other things outside of the community. And they're like, hey, man, like, you're experiencing this because of this. And this is how you fix it. And I'm like, well, how the fuck? Why has nobody told me this? And I would implement that simple little fix, I guess, and program and train it and do it and be consistent. And then I'll fucking lo and behold, I'd have an improvement. Holy shit, what a concept, right? And then I started taking all these other things and going, doing them better, doing them better. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me, right? So that's really my point is that if you're experiencing physical pain, or emotional issues or sleep problems or anything associated to the effect of high sport, high stress. There is somebody and there are dozens of people that have experienced it before you. Now, maybe not all of them, of course, have, have uh, encountered the solution, but many of them are go, have gone down that path and found that solution. And there are professionals out there, the best of their job is to fix us or fix the athlete or improve or whatever. And I just started knocking on doors. And, and I can say most certainly some of that was based off of my position. And my command, the command I came from, was not in the business for sharing. And many times professional sports, Olympic training centers, although they're not in the business of sharing either. And that was our common ground. I wasn't going to go in there and broadcast this fantastic modality or device or, or pharmaceutical that Team X is using we were just going to spread it within the community. So I have yet to encounter, I've had some severe trauma, uh, concussion trauma and some other things, blast trauma. And I have yet to, I have yet to not be able to find the solution. That's my point. And people just go, Oh, it's, it's a complex thing. It's just, what pain is just what you're supposed to be in. What, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, like the TBIs and the CTEs and a lot of stuff is with the NFL players. I mean, for me, uh, there were a few things. One, I always had kind of a personal observation that the guys that took the most amount of opiate painkillers 
tended to have the most problems. And um, uh, Peter Atia, who's a doc, who's a pretty sharp cat, uh, we had a good conversation about it. And he's like, you know, maybe it's something neurological or maybe physiological where they don't handle the pain the same way and they actually need the painkillers. For me, uh, I never really took the painkillers. Um, and I remember when I retired, one of my, one of my ex teammates was like, man, uh, how's retirement going? I'm like, Oh, it's great. I've been working this. He's like, did you have a tough time getting off all the pain meds? I was like, I, I never really took them. And I was like, were you? And he's like, yeah, I was probably chewing seven to 10, you know, Norcos and then this, and he, he had a hell of an addiction with it. And yeah. uh, he's like, he's like, how come, um, you didn't really do it? I'm like, honestly, the pain just never affected me the same way. And now, you know, years later, the guys that I know that took the most painkillers tended to have or tending to have more problems that I've seen manifest. Uh, big thing for me was um, pretty early on, uh, I picked up and started doing ketogenic diets. And when I ended up getting out of the NFL, you know, come to find out that actually a ketogenic diet is probably one of the best things you can do for not only neurological, but also brain health and help you mitigate some of the problems. So, I mean, just certain things that way. I mean, it's just it's kind of, you know, similar to you guys that there's no way to not get put in the meat grinder, but yep. you can limit the, the, you know, you can control the things that you can control, whether it be, you know, avoiding, uh, avoiding the opiates, you know, sleeping recovery, uh, you know, some things like a ketogenic diet, uh, you know, to really mitigate those factors so that when you do go on the meat grinder, you don't get destroyed as bad because. And see, that's this, these conversations, right. You and I have, this is what's dumbfounding to me is like, we know there is a benefit to a ketogenic diet, especially we're talking about in a concussive environment, but yet that's not, no one's being front loaded with that information. It's criminal. I, I just, uh, I'm on an email train. The head trainer for Rice University has, uh, it's been hitting me up about, you know, writing a, a, you know, a protocol for this stuff. And, you know, the problem you're going to run into is uh, I can't imagine trying to get up and talk to 40 or, or I mean, 80 college kids and trying to tell them, uh, if you want to survive this deal called football and you don't want to fuck your brain up, here's how you're going to do it. Now, what that means is that after the game, you're probably not going to be able to go out and drink 20 beers. And, um, and I don't want you to drink the Gatorade on the sideline because the single worst thing you can do with, a, with acute and traumatic brain injury is still somebody with high levels of fucking glucose after. Yep. Um, you know, and it's just like, uh, for me, like I never drank the Gatorade and I always thought that the Gatorade had some fucking issue going on because, uh, you know, like for me, like the Gatorade, well, or when I drank Gatorade, it always made my legs feel heavy and my body, like all my limbs. Like I just felt slow and sluggish. And I remember going back and researching it and being like, wait a minute, like high blood sugar and like, you know, it's beneficial and everything you read. And it just didn't jive with what I was feeling. And so I always drank water. I mean, but like, like you said, man, there, there's a whole bunch of ways to mitigate this stuff. Um, the other one too, uh, when I was playing the NFL, they were giving guys toward all left and right. Oh yeah. That stuff is awesome. Oh, but, that's, <laughs> yeah. But, well, I, I agree yeah. with you. Uh, but you know, then, uh, they got all super sketchy about it after Reggie white died. Yeah. Cause Reggie white was in his early forties had just retired and, you know, Reggie had been a big Toradol guy and all of a sudden he goes to sleep and doesn't wake up one night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they talked about the blood pressure for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, inflammation within the lining of the heart. Yep. I mean, and like, if you look at the tortal, one of the warnings is will cause it cause edema and inflammation of the lining of the heart. I mean, it's fucking like, and now all of a sudden man. they took yeah. all that shit out of the, out of the training rooms. They, they don't give it anymore. Well, it's the other thing too is like for me, like I guess my last sort of like, you know, piece of gas into this fire is that I didn't know, like, I was taking a substantial 
I have a real high tolerance, obviously, for it. I think I was predisposed. Like, I don't know. Like, everyone on my dad's side was historically an alcoholic. Um, I don't drink, and I don't – I haven't. I mean, I, I've, you know, special occasions. Like well, you birthday. can drink. You just choose not to. Yeah, I don't. Like, I don't I, – I took my first drink of alcohol when I was – when I, my best friend's uh, 40th birthday. And that was four years ago. But, again, I've always – I have control issues, and I, I used to be really violent in a not-so-good way, right? You know, you seem like a real pleasant individual, so I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing that in you. You're <laughs> self-destructive, and so, like, I could always handle the pain, but I was, at my worst, I was taking 40, 40 Oxycontin in a day. Four? Wow. 40. 40. So. I took one Oxy. Uh, I had a, a knee surgery, and they gave me one Oxy, and uh, I didn't go – I couldn't go to number two for probably three days. Yeah. So I get, uh, I got sick. Like, yes, it, it helped my pain. But were you I, crushing them up in the, uh, like, uh, just uh, chewing them? I've done some crazy shit with some opiates. It works in different places too. Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say, did you keister remember? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, I used to, I would, I would take a syringe and I would chew like 10 of them up and spit them into the syringe and then my ass. Well, I mean, actually, it's probably a, it's a cleaner absorption. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't destroy your stomach. It hits the bloodstream yeah. faster. So it was one of those things where, like, I was in some severe pain. I was I was being given uh, a lot of injections for pain. I would I always had morphine on me too. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. But what I here's IV or I am intramuscular. Yeah, I am. I am. Okay. Yeah. So uh, and then the new bane. New bane is that stuff. Okay. Oof. But I, uh, I I used to train with some bodybuilders, and uh, the one of the bodybuilder dudes used to fucking uh, ID Nubane before he trained. That stuff is – that's a different level, man. And so the thing is – but here's the, here's my point is that the pain I can handle to some degree. But what I, what I found out is I continue to take the opiates because of my emotional issues. And now that's where the real fucking problems happen, in my opinion, is like th – that's, that's the recovery story for me is like, you know, structurally – I, for the most part, have gotten put back together. I've had some really caring caring people take care of me. But it took me a while to be okay with not being, trying to be tough and trying to be something that I needed to have. Like we were talking about, I was like, my identity became a seal. But that was never me. I was always a caring, fun-loving child and uh, adolescent. And it, I was... I was at the other end of the spectrum. I was just a very unhappy, unpleasant person. And that's what, when I would take those, those pain meds, it made me pleasant. And that's what I was trying to find, you know. I could handle the pain to some degree. And so I think that's the thing is, though that's what I mean. It's the information on how to combat that, I couldn't get to physical recovery until I could become a little bit emotionally stable. And then that's when I really saw the big changes. So it's more, it's hard to define recovery until you talk to an individual and, and say, all right, are you experiencing any of these 10 things? Then you can really target it. And what you end up finding is you build that rapport with that athlete or that team or that individual, right? And then they go, that worked out pretty good. What, what else do you have for me? And that's, that's why the strength conditioning community is so powerful is because what you alluded to before is there's something about when you tie effort to hard work, that emotional bond that's created. 
and, and not that skill coaches don't achieve that. That's that's why this this is so powerful and therapeutic for people is because that neurological that 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 parasympathetic connection that you can create is is that it's set once you once you link that it's set um, and so I I think that that's why you know people have, from addiction often find weight training because it's it's still an addiction. I mean, uh, anything can be addictive, you know, if you, if you put it in that right way, I think, you know, people have, you know, healthy addictions. I mean, I, I don't necessarily know if, uh, if there's anything that's a healthy addiction, but I mean, there's definitely things that are going to destroy you a lot faster. I mean, the, um, uh, addiction is a really interesting thing. And a lot of guys I saw in the NFL had severe addictions, whether it be painkillers, um, you know, and the big one, which is people don't always talk about is fucking terrible sex addiction. Um, you know, one of my best friends, uh, fucking wrestled with sex addiction forever. And he was like, dude, this is a fucking compulsive problem yeah. to manage. So, I mean, it's, uh, what's strange for me. And I know this is weird is, uh, I don't have any addiction. Like I'm not really addicted to anything. And, um, it just is kind of a, uh, it's kind of hard. Like, uh, my wife's father was, uh, was an alcoholic. And I remember like, you know, her talking to me about having to go to, you know, some Al-Anon and some different things and like talking about addiction. And I'm like, fuck, I, um, uh, it's just, it's something that I think is, is more, you know, uh, chemical, uh, you know, maybe there's, there's a void that needs to be filled and you know, how it, how it kind of fits into it. But, um, you know, uh, I think when you start getting into people that are extremely type A and, you know, that type of, uh, you know, reckless personality that, you know, plays in the NFL or as a seal or kind of goes into these extreme places because, you know, these really polarizing deals, you're going to get people with, you know, some, obviously some, uh, emotional and mental fucking deficiencies because it isn't normal. And, you know, and then they backfill. I mean, um, it just, I mean, and you know, for you guys too, I mean, alcoholism is a, it's a huge problem in the SEAL community, just like it is for, you know, NFL players. I mean, it's like we talked about earlier on, uh, you know, I knew guys that, you know, one of my fucking teammates would pick me up every morning so he could smoke weed in the car because he couldn't deal with practice unless he was high. Yeah. Uh, you know, he'd be like me. I'm like, oh, I just yeah. want to grab a cup of coffee. It would be, it'd be a huge red flag, right? I'd be telling him. It's, it's, it's so commonplace that people don't look at it like, Oh, that's just, it's a coping mechanism. And, but people are still at such a high performance. That's, that's the mask mask is that whether it's the NFL or the SEAL community, when you have these emotional or social or physical crutches, we still perform at a real high level. So you kind of go into the radar. Well, that, 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 and also, I mean, isn't it, I mean, I, I know for us, it was, it was encouraged. I mean, I, I've heard stories and I, I know guys, uh, you know, there are various teams that, you know, that was the deal. You, get, you go out and you get fucked up. And if you don't like to get fucked up, you're probably not going to get this team. Um, you know, when I played in the NFL, that was a big thing, man. Like uh, uh, all the old guys told us that the only way you play good on Sunday is if you drink so much on Friday night that you're still hung over when you go play on Sunday because you play better with a hangover. Uh, if you're fucking throwing up and you're sick and you go out and, you know, you don't feel it as much and you're usually pretty pissed off and real angry. And uh, I adopted that early on in my career and played, you know, a, a bunch of NFL games, extremely hungover. And it did, it was probably, that's why I got voted one of the top 10 dirtiest players in the NFL one year, because, uh, and ironically, it was two of my best friends were on that list as well. So it just kind of ends up playing out like that. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, looking back on it, um, there would have been a much easier way to do it. Like, I, I think the kind of fast and loose works for a while, but then as you age and all of a sudden when you, you're trying to do what you did when you were 25 and 26, all of a sudden doesn't work when you're in your thirties. 
and I think you got to change, you got to mature, and you got to age. I mean, it sounds like the road you were on, if you had kept on that path, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So you had to definitely adjust. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's all personal growth, so. But well, I'm kicking ass, dude. Yeah, dude, I mean. Jeff, I'm sad. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm sad we didn't get to hang out. I know you were seeing your son when we were in BB. Uh, one of the cats that was at our seminar was a buddy of yours. Um, uh, Brian Cavanaugh? Yeah, yeah, with a beard. Cavanaugh, yeah. Yeah, big dude yeah, with a beard. Just, just when I first got in the Navy, before I put this facility in, just a, the local gym I used to train at. He's one. He's one of the one of the trainers there. Um, just kind of, yeah, you kind of meet people and, yep. It's, it's interesting because my life was so – it was only friends from that area, right? And it's interesting. Like the last two and a half years, like the friends I've made outside of the community have actually – it's been good for me. Not that I don't – again, if oh, hopefully I didn't come across as this like begrudging ex-seal or anything. No, I, no, I, I, it's, I'm it's, passionate because I, I, I really appreciate that community and I hate to see it from what the society kind of sees it as just like – self-seeking what it's totally opposite man like the best people i've ever met with that i trust truly is in at that command and community but it's best for me to kind of separate so they can do their thing uh at least the impression i always got was kind of the quiet professional i mean that was always the kind of the idea that i always liked and a lot of the guys i worked with that was like kind of that quiet professional mentality and the problem is, is people want to fuck mouth. that shit yeah. up. And, um, Assholes fuck everything up, John. Well, it's true. I mean, everybody saw the ability to go make a dollar. And like, and then, you know, if you know anything about it, I'm sure you've read some of the books and you've been like, this is some bullshit. Um, and recently, <laughs> um, I remember a book came out and one of my friends who was, you know, at a, the same place that you were at, uh, he, he, uh, he was like, oh, did you see that? I was like, yeah, he said, did you read the book? I was like, yeah, actually I did. And I showed it to him. He's like, whole thing's fucking fabricated for life. Yeah. He goes, I'll tell you why. He goes, uh, and you know, he had been that gold and, and he's like, dude, I'll, and then, uh, and then I was fortunate to go and where, and I all of a sudden pieced it back. And, and then recently a bunch of that stuff came out and he's like, you know what? Everything eventually comes out. Nothing yeah. stays fucking hidden forever. And he goes, you know, the problem is like you said, man, most guys just aren't going to say anything. And yeah. So, like, it, it, I will say that you're, you're right on. And for the people that are listening, right. Or going to listen in the future. If you, if you wasted your money and bought a book that says Navy SEAL on it, you can just use the pages as toilet paper because it's all shit. It's all self-seeking nonsense that the community doesn't stand for. And for the most of those people, unfortunately, like in the NFL, right, in all these communities, like we, we, we bleed for it and we work our ass off. And some, a lot of our friends, some of our friends have died serving. The worst thing in my mind I can do was leave that community or that community, if I ever needed something or I wanted to go back to reunion, then I wouldn't be welcomed in. That for me is a, is a tragedy. And for a lot of those guys, they're in this sort of, like, I'm not a fucking war hero. I have people that didn't like me. I don't like certain people, but, but I can say that if I ever needed the help of that community or people that are still in that community, I could reach out to them and I'd be welcome back in. And that would suck not having that. Well, the lesson you want to be is the dude that writes the tell-all book, which is yeah. like the Jose Canseco who fucking writes the book and calls all these people out because you've spent all your money and you're in the last fucking dollar and this is your last fucking play so that as for your final fucking play, you're going to be remembered as the dude 
that fucking wrote the book that outed everybody and was the fucking the piece of shit because you know what like that doesn't do anybody any fucking good and all you end up doing is fucking uh, destroying trust of your friends yeah and um you know thank god the nfl uh a lot of guys hopefully haven't you know like i, I don't know maybe 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 they have but i think what fucking killed me especially with your community is um dudes cashing in on it and i'm like hey you know you did the fucking job uh and now you want to go out like i'm just like dude uh, keep your mouth shut like it's just it, it doesn't seem that fucking hard and um i i think that like there's a you know an honor in what you guys did and um i, I just anytime i see that shit i'm always like like i want to be i, I you know i kind of put put that on the shelf i did i've got my my stuff going on but you know for my future but what i want to do is when i'm 50 60 whatever it is I want to be able to go back to it and be proud of it instead of going, well, shit, I'd love to wear my Navy SEAL hat as an old guy and have my flag on the front yard, but everyone knows I'm an asshole. Like that would, that would suck. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, now I'm taking the passion and the love I have for the community that, that created me, right? Really, I, shot, I cut my teeth in that community and I got so much, so much positive from that community. I'm taking that with me and I'm going to attack the world. And I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna work just as hard as I did here or there as I did here, uh, am here. So that's what I'm taking away. I'm, because that shelf, that, that that there is no expiration date on passion. There's none. Mm-hmm. So it, good, bad, or different, I can't control it. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna control what I can, and 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 kick some ass. That's that's what I'm gonna do. Work work hard and kick some ass. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, I think that's legit. Authenticity doesn't have a shelf life, but the bullshit does. Yeah. Because it always comes out, right? Yeah, it comes out. Cool. Well, Jeff, thanks for taking the time to jump on, man. I mean, it's a great show. Yeah, man. It was, it was, great. It was great to connect with you, and I'm uh, very uh, appreciative you took the time to help us out today. Anytime. Let me know if you're back out here. Are you, where are you at in California, you guys? Newport Beach. Orange County. Yeah. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so if I'm out there, I'm going to look you guys up. For sure. I Please mean, do. like an hour and a half from San Diego. So. Because yeah, I, I spend a good bit of time in Carlsbad. So. Oh, yeah, then that's 40-minute yeah. drive. Yeah, and then Hermosa Beach, a buddy of mine has, has uh, Troll Subin has a gym out there in the yard. <laughs> oh, you, you know Troll? So, uh, absolutely, right? I, t- I trained with Troll in high school. Fantastic. He's good people, man. Dude, I, I knew him before he opened the yard, and I uh, was a trainer at Gold's Gym. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 24-hour fitness. Yeah, I've known sure Troll for... On that. Yeah. Dude, I, yeah. Yeah, no, I've known Troll for shit over 25 years. Fantastic, man. I guess, you know, that, that's that's what I'm, I think I'm most blessed with now is now that I've gotten out. I've really, really gotten to meet some great people that I otherwise wouldn't have. It's funny, I've traveled the world. But I have very little travel. I mean, I've, got, I've been around the United States a good bit, but I feel like I'm finally getting to see my own country, mm-hmm. and it's quite, it's quite fantastic. Cool. Well, next time you're out, man, hit us up. Yeah, love you. Yeah. All right, All right Take care. Take care. Yes, sir. See ya. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Well, you've heard it all, people. So much great information from Jeff to chew on for the next week. To find out more about Virginia High Performance, follow them on Facebook or Twitter under the name VA High Performance. Until next time, bye!